So I want to go into this campus because this is an impressive facility. I actually volunteered here for quite a while as your project manager and then eventually group volunteer coordinator. And I remember the first six weeks I was here, I was lost. We had to create a map so I could get from point A to point B. So how we talked, you drove by and you saw this campus. How did you get this campus? Because you didn't have any money. Right. So in the process then, we uh, reached out to a realtor and found out that they were asking at that time 5.45 million. Oh, wow. So to say that we were millions apart from purchasing <laughs> the campus would be an understatement because we were exactly 5.45 million apart. Just a right? small gap. Just right? a small gap. And uh, so we uh, just were sitting in the office, our free office. Uh, we like free, right? So right. we were sitting in the free office one day and my son David said to me, he said, hey, dad, offer him two million. And I thought, okay, we can offer him two million. We don't have two million, but we can offer just, you know, we can see what we do. So we put together this offer for $2 million and had this real estate uh, gentleman write it all up. And remember Dave took a selfie of me and him holding the $2 million offer, which was kind of (laughs) funny because we didn't have $2 million. Right. So anyway, we sent it up to their lawyer and uh, a couple of weeks went by and we never heard a word. So I thought, okay, I'll just call and see kind of where the offer is and what's going on. And so when I did, he said, uh, we didn't even entertain your offer. It was so low. <laughs> and so I thought, okay. So I hang up the phone. And as soon as I get off the phone, Dave says, Dad, offer him $3 million. I thought, well, if you don't have two, you don't have three. So why, what's it going to hurt? So we write up a $3 million offer, and we send it up there to them. And this time, they actually countered back at 3.75. So we at least realized that that's the ballpark that we needed to be on somewhere in there and to just try to discern that. So we just took time to try to pray and we didn't respond within the time frame that they had asked us to respond in because we didn't have the money, but we were just going to see what God would do about that. And so um, it was September of um, 2018 and um, no, I'm sorry, 2016. Through the process, we were casting the vision, going to churches, and going to anywhere that would actually have us to share the story about the Hope Center, what we were trying to create, and how we were trying to get this campus. I was literally scheduling tours on this campus when, and Bob was having to take us on every tour because (laughs) they, and uh, it was like I was bringing all kinds of people through here, right, trying to cast the vision of trying to help get people to come on on board to help me and. Pastor Mark at Brandywine Community Church, uh, he had said to me, hey, can I have a picture of the campus? And so we actually had a picture of the campus, and so we shot it over to him, and he said, we're going to do a kind of a five-year vision message this Sunday about where our church is headed and what we're going to be doing. And so I thought, that sounds great. And um, I had really no idea what it, all he was going to be doing with that picture, but Tanya and I, we just decided we'd go to Brandywine that day just to hear their five-year vision and what God was leading them to do uh, over the next five years. And so we show up and Mark's preaching his message, casting vision about where they're headed and what they're doing. And then finally he just turned to the screen and he said, this picture here of this campus, this is going to be Hope Center Indy. It will become the largest aftercare program for ladies coming to human trafficking. And, and when he said that, I thought, man, that's prophetic. I had never heard that. I never thought about that really, that we could be the largest aftercare program 
in America for ladies coming out of human trafficking. And he said, the people who are trying to create the center, uh, they're having some difficulty getting this campus. So what I want to do is I would like to stop right now and pray. So right in the middle of his message, he asked people to just join hands, join hearts, Let's pray and ask God to give them a breakthrough. Do something so that they can get this campus. And so he prayed in that service as well as the second service that morning. And so that was Sunday, September 24th. And and then on Monday, uh, September 25th, uh, I got a call from the lawyer of uh, the organization who owned our campus. And he said to me, hey, are you guys interested in leasing our campus? And my response was, I had no idea that that was even an option. I thought the only option we had was actually purchasing the campus. And he said, no. He said, uh, why don't you go ahead and put a lease agreement together, what you guys could do, and send it up here. And my feeling was, why would you want me to do that? I've already offended you twice with two <laughs> offers I've already given you. Why would you want me to do something like that? All right. So anyway, I said, okay. So um, Dave and I put all the faith we had together. I mean, just put it all together. And we thought, okay, what if we offered them $10,500 a month for this campus? And so that would literally be about what 125,000 or something or a year. Maybe we'll have to do some math on that. And, um, but when we think about that process, um, we thought, okay, we could do that. And the funny thing was for whatever reason, I realized the incredible needs of this campus and everything that needed to be fixed and needed fixing right away. And so in my proposal, I said to them, I said, I tell you what I'll do. I'll offer you $10,500 a month lease payment, but I would like to have $5,000 a month back to fix up your campus for a capital improvement account. And so we put this together and we sent it up there on a Wednesday. So he called me on Monday. Wednesday, we send up this proposal. And when you think about that, $10,500 a month, right? So um, when I thought about trying to wrap your heart and mind around that, uh, thinking about raising that kind of money uh, by faith and trusting God to provide that kind of money was kind of like a mountain. And uh, I just had a friend say to me one time, that's no, that's no mountain for a climber. You know, so sometimes when we face mountains that we're climbing and whether it's a financial mountain, whether it's an emotional mountain or jobs or careers or whatever it might be that could be in our way, I just love that thought. It's no mountain for a climber. Just get climbing, right? And so sent that up there. That was on a Wednesday. And on Friday then, I was actually farming because we do some farming. I was in the tractor. And so my phone rang and I could see that it was the lawyer. And so I turned the tractor off so I could actually hear the phone call, right? And so I turned the tractor off and the lawyer said, well, we want you to know the board has approved your proposal. And uh, so I talked to him for a few moments about the logistics of that and when we would be able to step on campus for the first time. And when I hung up the phone then, I literally got out of the tractor and I went to the edge of the field and I put my hands in the air, literally put my hands up in the air. And I said, God, 
thank you, I think, because I'm not sure if this is a thank you or not, because I just took over uh, 210,000 square feet, almost 26 acres, and uh, committed myself to $10,500 right. a month that I actually don't have right now. So I think this is a thank you, but I'm not quite Maybe. sure. It may be. It Maybe. may be a thank you. So we'll see here in the future whether I can thank you for this or not. Whether but, or not. And the beautiful thing was, of course, uh, we just celebrated our fifth uh, your anniversary here on campus. And mm-hmm. so, you know, to be able to get to this point and where God has brought us from is just an incredible story of faith and trust and got divine provision, really, of all the things that God has done. So, and we have a lot of stories of those of stories. divine provisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of the blessings of being part of the Hope Center is you get to be involved and see just these huge mountains that God will just move. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait till Monday is one of your, one of your quotes. So I want to go back to, you said, you said when you got to campus, because I, I came about a year after you had already started, there were still massive renovations that needed to be done. So the first moment you step into this campus, what was it being used for? How long it had been since any renovations had been done? I mean, what, can you give us kind of a visual of what this campus looked like when you first stepped into it? Yeah. So at that time uh verity college was actually here on campus and they finished out that semester and so dave and i moved into our office in november of 2016 and so they were still here until their christmas break and then their staff was still here until january as far as the building itself it was dated and needed repairs right and so they had done what they could i think as the college and but this campus is so massive and the maintenance expense of this place can be overwhelming. Right. And so I think for the most part, they were doing the best they can just to maintain it. And so it really needed a nice uh, facelift a little bit and just make it look a little bit more modern. So when we first stepped to the front door that on the first day, I just remember Dave kind of wrote a blog and maybe we'll have to read that sometime, but he wrote a blog of the first day on campus and what that was like for him and just, the fear factor kind of thing and and how we were gripped by the size of this place and the challenge that would be before us. And so the first project we would take would be to paint our offices. Uh, In the very first month or so, we just had one office. But once the college moved out, Dave had his office right beside mine. And so we were able to get our offices ready. So we literally had to put a couple coats of paint on the wall. We had to paint the trim. We had to vacuum our, our carpet and clean our carpets and do all that and get everything ready for our furniture and all that stuff. And when we got done, it took us all week to do two offices, <laughs> right? And I'm not a professional painter, but I'm pretty good because I've done a lot of painting in my lifetime. Not because I wanted to, because I had to. And so I'm just saying these offices were fairly large and fairly difficult. They're block walls, so you really have to do a lot of rolling and stuff and to make them look really nice. And so when we got done, I thought to myself, that was two offices, and there's 30 more offices here in this building. Not including the residential rooms. Not counting residential rooms, classrooms, hallways, cafeteria, you know, kitchenettes, prayer centers, and no, we, we hadn't even scratched the surface. And it was at that point that I thought, oh my, we're going to need an army of volunteers to we're come in and to facelift yeah. this place and help us to do what we're going to do. So 
yeah, the challenge in the beginning, I think, was uh, making us think, wow, what have we really got ourselves into? One of the neat God stories, I think, in the early beginning here that kind of ties that together was I had a gentleman call me and he said, hey, pastor, could you guys use some office furniture? And I said, yeah, we really could because the office furniture that we were using was a broken down desk. And I shared the story how Dave and I kind of wheeled it out to the to the dumpster and took a sledgehammer and busted it up and threw it in the dumpster. And he said, no, dad, that's not the way it happened. It fell apart before we got to the dumpster, you know, so, <laughs> right. um, but whatever way it ended up in the dumpster. Right. So, um, but we really needed some office furniture. And so he took me, uh, this gentleman took me to uh, Roche diagnostic off of interstate 69, a pharmaceutical company. And we walked into a 300,000 square foot facility and, the gentleman said, mark anything you want. They want to give it to you as a nonprofit. And I thought, wow. So um, we marked 35 offices, and they are beautiful, uh, solid wood. Uh, my office actually retailed for like $8,400. So that tells you a little bit about right. how nice these offices really are. And um, so I thought, well, we, only, we have 30-some offices, so if I break a little bit, I'll have some extra rights. So we marked 35 offices, and then... The next day we went back and I took some other people with me and they said, oh man, Mark Moore is so nice. You ought to Mark Moore. So I marked another 20 offices, right? Not knowing what I was going to do with this stuff. And so finally the Roche representative, then he was standing there beside me and he finally said to me, just send me semi-trailers. I'm going to give it all to you. And I thought, wow, okay. So I called a friend and asked him if he could somehow help me connect with some semi-trailers. And he said, well, I think I can work that out for you. So he literally had these semi-trailers dropped at Roche and here. And so I was standing there with the uh, Roche representative and I was saying to him, uh, hey, I need to get in here on Friday evening because and Saturday because that's when I can get volunteers to help me to get all this stuff loaded and get it out of here. And, and so he looked at me and he said, uh, you are not bringing one volunteer into this building. And so I just took a big gulp like, you know, because I'm thinking, Dave and I, we can't, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it is impossible for us to lift all this furniture and get it all out of this building. Right. So this isn't going to work. I'm, you know, I'm at this point 60 years old now. So no, this isn't working for me. And so then he said, do you see that professional crew over there? And I said, yeah. And he said, they're going to load every piece of furniture for you. And I thought, thank you, liability insurance, right? <laughs> because they weren't even going to let us in their, in their building. And so we ended up getting nine semi-trailers full of office furniture. And there was another couple companies there that actually uh, did office uh, presentation and set up. And so they said to us, do you guys need any help setting up your offices? And we said, yeah, you think we could figure all this stuff out? I mean, all these pieces of furniture kind of mean to the Hope Center. And so they literally sent their crews over and they set up all the offices for us free as well. So the semi-trailers were free. The office furniture was free. The setup was free. And so it was one of those God moments for us. Uh, we actually got their uh, commercial kitchen as well. We had like 500 office chairs. We used to say the penalty for coming on a tour is you have to take an office chair because we had so many of them everywhere, right? So we got so blessed. We got to be a blessing. We gave furniture to churches and nonprofits and Sometimes people would come through and they'd say, man, can we purchase some? And we'd say, no, but you can donate to the Hope Center. And so it was about a $500,000 gift through uh, Roche. And we often say, man, God, he began to show us the vision he had for the Hope Center at that point. 
He felt all of these offices with furniture, and it was probably at that time that Dave and I realized that God's plan for the Hope Center was much larger than ours. He had filled all these offices. Surely he's going to send us help. He's going to send people to help us do what we're doing. So that was one of the great moments, I think, early on, those very first few weeks of the Hope Center where we were able to uh, get this furniture and get it moved in. And we brought the football team over. We brought firemen over. We brought anyone that had a big had strong backs and weak minds right so we <laughs> we brought them you know all. they're gonna listen to yeah, this right <laughs> anybody who was like that we we brought them over to help us out and so it was tremendous to see all the volunteerism and how they were able to do that so so standing there it's it's just you and dave yeah and you have all this furniture and all these offices you need two Right. One for you and one for him. And you have all of these offices. Yet here we are today and we fight over office space. Like there is yes. not an ounce of room left on this campus right now. Um, it, is, it is brimming <laughs> to the rim. So that is definitely something that has came true. He, he filled this place. He has. And it really, we have cubicles as well where, right. you know, several people are meeting in different rooms. And so I think that's exciting. And as we think about just growing the Hope Center, we're going to need more and more office space as we kind of move in the future. But the Lord figured that out as we kind of go down that way. Awesome. Where from there? You have all this office space. It's just you and Dave. What was next? I just remember deciding at that time, and we need to make sure that we began to get all of our prayer team together that we possibly could. And we had done some training at our office, our free office area on a Wednesday night. And we began to invite people to come there to be part of a training in the area of human trafficking. And so then when we got here, we thought, man, let's, the first room we're going to create will be a prayer room. And so um, that was before the prayer center was here. And we went upstairs and picked the largest room on campus other than the ballroom and uh, the auditorium. And we decided we're going to completely redo that room, make it really nice to invite people to a Wednesday night prayer meeting. And so we did, and people began to come on Wednesday night, and we cast a vision, and they began to pray that somehow we would be able to figure this out and put it together. And so often people say to me, did you know anything about human trafficking? And the truth of the matter is, I did not. But I often say this, you can learn anything you want to learn. And so Dave and I kind of took a crash course on human trafficking, and we literally read everything we possibly could read about human trafficking. I mean, we were burning up the books on human trafficking and anything we could glean or learn or any kind of training that was being presented. We were watching it either through Zoom or videos or actually going to attend in person in some of those areas. And then the other thing we realized, too, is we didn't have to know everything about human trafficking because we were going to hire people who could, whether they were people who could work in trauma recovery or addiction recovery or all the different recovery areas that they would need. So we weren't going to be the hands-on people that were doing those things. I just needed to be able to cast a vision to create a center where I would have the funds to hire the people who would be able to do some of those things that had already been trained and educated, had their degrees in all those kind of areas. There really wasn't any per se experts at that time. And this is looking back at, you know, the, the history of the United States and some of the issues that have been tackled, uh, whether it's addiction or, um, you know, abuse, domestic violence. Those are issues that have been around for a while and people have became experts and, and written programs and 
but sex trafficking here in the United States, this was a fairly new field when you started here. Yeah, so one of the things that we realized is there wasn't a lot being done in the area of human trafficking. And um, I think in, you know, when we first started, I was saying there was probably about uh, five or 600 beds or maybe more than that today. Uh, but during that time, that's about what we thought was across America. And so there was so little being done. It was like you were pioneering. You were cutting down the trees and clearing the land, and you were just trying to figure out how to make this work because there wasn't a template to follow. There wasn't some kind of program that people would say, this is what you need to be doing and, and putting it all together. So we were just trying to create that ourselves, trying to figure out about policies and procedures and all the things that we wanted. What would the program look like? What would we really want these ladies to receive from the Hope Center to help them to go out and be successful in their lives? So, yeah, I think that the challenge was for us to realize almost nothing was being done. I don't want to take away from those who were working in the field, but I would say the field is probably only about 15 years old. So at that point, it was only about 10 years old where there were some people out there that was actually trying to do some of this. Now, I would say that um, trafficking was going on during that whole time, and someone may have ended up in a program for addiction or some kind of abuse or some kind of other program, and they were trying to work with that lady because of her trafficking, but it wasn't called human trafficking, and it wasn't the kind of program that they had put together just to focus on human trafficking. So you mentioned... uh Wednesday nights. And today you still have Wednesday nights, but it's in your prayer center. Right. Um, where people, the public still welcome to come in and pray over the Hope Center or, or enjoy worship here on campus. Yeah. So when I was the pastor, one of my dreams was to have a 24 seven prayer center where people could come and go and pray and not just pray for our city, but for our world. And to realize that prayer is the work, you know, and someone said that's why so little of it gets done because it's it's hard work, and to really to engage people in that area, and so I don't know, probably about twenty five years ago, I just read more and more books about prayer, right, and I just love reading about prayer. I'm kind of an introvert anyway, even though I was a pastor, I was I'm an introvert. I love solitude. I love quietness. I love prayer. Those are the kind of things that kind of motivate me and strengthen me. And so um, I just thought, man, I, I would love to create a center, you know, but I never accomplished it at the church. You know, I never quite got there where I was able to build that prayer center, even though we did all kinds of prayer retreats and those kind of ministries. But so we came here and uh, I just thought, man, if this thing is ever going to happen, we have to bathe it in prayer. We have to support it by prayer and we've got to move the heart of God and engage his hand here because if we don't, then we're not going to be here. You know, I mean, one of the things that Dave and I would always say is, if God doesn't do it, it's not going to get done. It's just too big. It's impossible for me to do it. It was impossible for Dave to do it. So, you know, and that's one of the things they say. If God calls you to do something, it's probably going to be greater than what you can do because he wants you to get on your knees and trust him and believe that he's going to do it in and through you. So, uh, we took over this campus and we began to look. We had the little prayer room upstairs that we began to work in. But then I thought, man, wouldn't it be wonderful? We have this kind of a tunnel that leads down to a, another building here on campus. But the building, uh, the roof had leaked and totally had destroyed the whole 
area. And uh, so on a Saturday, uh, Park Chapel, which is a Christian church in our community, uh, came over on a service project and they rented a dumpster and they literally threw everything in that building into the dumpster because it was all ruined from the carpet to the woodwork to everything, right? And so we just threw it in there. I just remember standing in there one day and all I had was a concrete floor and a block ceiling above me. And so I thought to myself, man, I could put, do an industrial look to the floor. I could put a drop ceiling in to cover up the block ceiling above me. I could build a platform for the praise teams. I could put a furnace and an air conditioner in. And I was thinking to myself, I could do all of that for $20,000. So I often say this, I'm the eternal optimist about getting something done cheaper than it really could be done for, right? So, and, um, so through that process, as I was thinking about how we could get the prayer center up and going, I was walking into the boutique one day, and I just said to the Lord out loud, just as you and I would be having a conversation, I just said, hey, Lord, I said, I need like $20,000 for the prayer center. So what are you going to do about that? And uh, I said, it is your ministry, you know. <laughs> right. And so it is this ministry. And so I'm not responsible for this. I'm just the one that's here that you've called to do this. And so as soon as they said, um, so what are you going to do about that? And I just felt like the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear this lady's name. And he said, ask her. I thought, ask her. And so the neat thing was I actually had her contact information in my office and she had been here on a tour. So, uh, and I knew that she had a heart for who we are and, uh, but I didn't think I knew her well enough to ask her for $20,000. That's for sure. By the way. (laughs) So anyway, I, I go into my office and I'm sitting down, right? So the Holy Spirit said to me, ask her. And I thought, okay. So I go in there and I sit down and I don't even call the lady, which is, amazing i should have at least called her and talked to her on the phone and, and uh, but i put a text together so that's the chicken way of asking for 20 did you really <laughs> yeah so i put a text together right so and the text sounded something like this i said hey i'm trying to raise twenty thousand dollars for the prayer center and your name was the first name that came to my mind which it was and i said i have other people i could ask to help me but i wanted to see if you and your husband might pray about helping me with the prayer center so I sat there for a long time. I thought, do you even send something like this? This is like crazy thinking, right? And so finally I just pushed send and I sent it. And in five minutes, this lady texted me back and she said, we would be honored to give you 20000 for your person. Wow. And so I often say this, you know, God is always speaking, but we're not always listening. And the only way we know for sure really that it's the Lord, because sometimes it's kind of like we... Was that me or was that him, right? Was that my own thinking or was that actually the Holy Spirit speaking? And so I say, you know, the only way you know for sure is to obey the prompting. And when you obey the prompting, you get to see the result. And so that's what I did. I obeyed that prompting and got to see the result. And so today we have the, the prayer center. And I think I came in under budget, but it had nothing to do with my figures. It had everything to do with yeah, God's. Yeah, your figures were off. Yeah, they were really off. <laughs> they were really but, off. So it had to do with God's continual provision of miracles. So all the drywall was donated. All the drywall work was donated. All the paint was donated. All the equipment that we needed in the whole um, prayer center was all donated. Our electrical work and all of our lights, all that stuff got donated as well. And so it was like God said, ah, that was a good try, but I knew you needed more. So anyway, he provided all that. And it's really kind of neat. Today we have over 800 people praying for the Hope Center every day and or I should say every week at least. And our goal is to get to a thousand here by January 1 of 2022. And so we're just trying to build um, 
just a group of prayer warriors who will impact our city, not just pray for the Hope Center. Uh, we're just one small piece of what God's wanting to do in Indianapolis and the surrounding cities. And so if we can get people praying, we feel like we've got a chance of really transforming and changing our city and our world. So I'm still stuck on the prompting thing. I'm thinking, is there somebody I can text and get $20,000? <laughs> but it's the prompting. I, yeah. Now I haven't been prompted. So yeah. that's amazing. These are just some of the beautiful stories from around here. So you were talking about all these people that are praying for the Hope Center, um, but those weren't, and, and creating the prayer center, but that wasn't your only goal when you and Dave sat down and talked about, okay, where do we need to start? Let's start this business plan. Um, you also talked about partnering with churches. Right. So can you tell everybody about that? Sure. So our uh, purpose, of course, we, we are a Christ-centered refuge, right? And that's who we are and that's what we do. And so we wanted to make sure that we incorporated prayer into everything that we do. So every Tuesday morning at 10, we do staff prayer and people come in to pray and be part of that. And we encourage them. And it's kind of a great way to be reminded of why we're here and what we're doing. And we also realize that the Hope Center is for all of us, not just for residents. We often say this, imparting hope and healing to every heart. And so as the Nolan family, we realized the Hope Center was for us and David's passing. And we also realized that so many people who serve here and work here are also hurting and going through challenges of life. And so to be able to pray for them and be part of that life, uh, being part of their lives is really what we were trying to accomplish. And then Wednesday night, as you mentioned earlier, that we open uh, for our residents to come down and worship and pray and be part of that. And then we bring some uh, people who support the Hope Center and, and our prayer warriors, they come in to be part of that as well. So that's a wonderful thing. So we we're hoping to create uh, these prayer warriors and people who would support the Hope Center through prayer. And I just felt like when it came to human trafficking, it was my heart to see the body of Christ embrace this and to do something about it in America. And so I thought, man, how can I begin to network the churches that I know and have been part of, but also other churches that may come alongside to help us to do uh, really an impossible task, and that is to impact this area. And uh, so Dave and I, he said to me, Dad, let's pray for 100 churches to come on board. And I thought, that sounds like an enormous amount of churches, right? right. So when you think about churches partnering together and working together, that's, that's something Jesus prayed for, right, in John 17, that we would be one and that he would see that our unity and our love for one another. And so we thought, man, what if we were so kingdom-minded that we could bring these churches together in a way that we have a common cause and purpose? And our cause is for Jesus, for his love, and for these ladies, and to change their life and transform them through just a new heart and um, a new beginning and being able to help them to realize that he wants to give them the kind of hope that they've always longed for and the peace that they've always looked for. So uh, we began to pray for those hundred churches. And I had this one young lady who visited the Hope Center and she had some physical challenges, but she just loved who we are. And so she said to me one day, she said, I just love working with woodwork and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So I said, would you be willing to make me some plaques of churches that I could put in my prayer tunnel that leads down to the prayer center of all the churches that have come on board to help us? And so she said, I would love to do that for you. So um, we started out, and I would every time a church would come on board, I would text her and say, make me a plaque of this church, and then this church, and then this church. And so she literally took the measurements of our windows of the prayer tunnel, which is about 100 
50 feet long or something. It's uh, pretty long. I should say 100, 100 yards almost. And so anyway, through that process, um, she fixed where three plaques could go per window. And so I, I thought, man, that's really good because as we continue to grow, we'll be able to put them in there. And so a plaque would mean that if your church has been here to do volunteerism, if you've done anything when it comes to a project, whether it's adopt a room or rake leaves or clean restrooms or do anything here on campus or even something much larger, then you would have a plaque in our window. If you support the Hope Center yearly with a one-time gift through your missions program or your annual budget, whatever you want to do, that would put a plaque in the window. Or if your church actually support us for every month through their missions budget or through their outreach budget, then we put your plaque in the window. And so uh, today uh, we have 145 churches on board. And so we've went past our 100 goal and we're praying for 200 because our budget just keeps growing. As it grows, we need more and more churches to come on board to to help us. But I think as you walk down through the prayer tunnel, it is amazing to see these churches from central Indiana coming on board to impact the area of human trafficking. And I think the neat thing is when people come on tours and they see their church plaque, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing for them. I mean, it's a proud moment, I think. And many of them will take selfies with their church plaque, you know, saying, man, we're on board. We're going to do something about this area of human trafficking. And so it was a great thought, I think. And then for the Lord to provide this dear lady to make our plaques for us has been wonderful as well for Jen to be able to do that for us. So I want to go back to this huge campus, the 210,000 square feet, 25 acres. You got to mow it. Yes. You've got to renovate all the rooms because they were just empty concrete block rooms with bunk beds in it. How did that happen? Because they're, they're beautiful today, um, but they weren't. They weren't always like that. Yeah, so let me start off by uh, talking a little bit about this 25-acre campus, right? (laughs) It's very large. So we took over in November, and when the spring of the year came, I thought to myself, I've got to mow this place. And how could you forget that you have almost 20-some acres to mow, right? You're thinking you have to mow it. Yeah, I'm thinking, what am I going to do? This is such... And it wasn't even on my radar scope, you know, it's... Uh, screen when it came to thinking about mowing this campus. And so I was uh, at a restaurant one evening and I was there with an elderly gentleman and I was just trying to cast a vision into his heart to come on board to help me. And and uh, so I would say to him, I just said, you know, every day at the Hope Center is a God day. Every day is a day of uh, answers to prayer and wonders and miracles and partnerships and networking. And it's just Every day is a divine day with God at the Hope Center. And so we sat there for a couple hours. We had finished our meal. And so we got ready to get up to leave. And when I did, there was another gentleman sitting with his family. And he just literally got up out of his chair. He walked over, stuck out his hand to shake my hand. And he said, hey, pastor. And this is exactly what he said. He didn't say anything else. Hey, pastor, the Lord has been dealing with me about mowing your property. And I said, wait a minute. I said, that's like 25 acres. He said, like I said, the Lord's been dealing with me about mowing your property. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And so for four years, he sent two big commercial mowers over here to mow our campus. And it took them all day, eight hours for these two big commercial mowers to be here to mow the campus. And I didn't even buy the gas 
I'm ashamed of it today. I didn't even buy the guy's gas, but it was his gift. And so often I think, you know, how great a gift was that, you know? And so uh, one day I had a gentleman on the tour and he just kind of used his calculator on his phone and, and he said about $1,200 a week. And I thought, my goodness, what an incredible gift for this uh, campus and for what they did. And it was one of those early miracles, you know, where God said, and David always loved to tell the story. He would say this, and God knew that we needed a yard guy, and he knew the yard guy. He knew the yard guy. And he, we, God knew we needed a plumber, and he knew the plumbing guy. And he knew we needed an electrician, and he knew the electrician guy. And so right. he would just go on and on. And God knew we needed a drywall guy, and he knew the drywall guy. And he knew we needed a painting guy, and he knew the painting guy. And he would just go on the, of this incredible list of needs, and he would always talk about how God knew that guy. God knew and that so, guy. He did. And so it was always a wonderful thing to see him showing up to help us create the Hope Center. And so we were doing tours every week, right? So on Thursday evening at 530 and also on Saturday at 1030. And on a tour one day, someone said to me, Pastor, can we adopt a room? And I said, what a great idea. Yes, we'll allow you to, to adopt a room, right? So we have all these rooms that, like you said, were played pretty plain and desperately needed some TLC, just some tender, loving care to make them really uh, wonderful. And so when we first started out, then we thought, okay, we have two goals for an adopter room where these ladies are going to be staying. We wanted a girl to walk in and feel valued. In other words, we wanted her to walk in and say, wow, I get to live here. I get to stay in this room. This is absolutely beautiful. And I, we wanted her to feel that. And then the second thing we wanted to accomplish was we wanted her to know that people care about her she will never know or meet in her life. And so um, when they started adopting these rooms, man, they caught the vision for that. And so it is absolutely amazing to me the expertise and the planning and everything that they've done to make these rooms absolutely beautiful. So we had this one young girl that was in our program, and she was around 20. And so one day she said to me, Pastor, I tell my family I live in an 82-room mansion. (laughs) So there's some truth in that. She really felt that she lived in this incredible mansion, beautiful place where she felt valued. And like I said, she never got to meet the people who decorated her room and made it so beautiful for her. So, Yeah, that caught on like wildfire. That was part of what I had the honor of being part of as the project manager was working with some of these groups with the Adopt-A-Room program. And we had church groups and life groups and families and businesses and they would show up and these rooms look like something off of Pinterest. I mean, they're just beautiful. And I remember hearing one of the women talk about, you know, this is the nicest, cleanest room I've ever lived in in my entire life. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of these women, they've, they've grown up in addiction homes or grown up on the streets or economically challenged areas where they've maybe never had clean sheets. Maybe they've never had a nice clean space to live in. And, and so they cherish it. They, they absolutely love having that, that nice, warm, safe place to be. And and it does, it means a lot. And the, the people that have gotten involved in donating, I want to, I want to back up just a little bit to, um, Fralix. So Aaron Freilich is actually, um, he's a friend of ours. He goes to church with us and he's, he's the guy that was mowing the yard for you. But it wasn't just that the Hope Center got blessed. Aaron's business was blessed as well. 
Yeah, so I can't really remember exactly how all that was coming down and because it's been a couple of years ago, right? So I just remember seeing his mom one day and I was just thanking her for her son and his willingness to come out and to help us do what we're doing here. And her response to me was, you can't imagine how God has blessed his business for blessing the Hope Center. And sometimes I've seen this. I think God's favor is here. And whoever blesses the Hope Center gets God's favor back on them. And so it's kind of a beautiful thing to see how God is honoring that. It's kind of biblical as well, right? Right. So you give, but God gives back 10 and 20 and 30%. And that's kind of the prayer we have for some of the people and businesses and individuals and churches who have come alongside to help us. We just kind of just pray God's blessing back on them for the incredible gifts and sacrifice that they've made to help us do this. When I think about those adopter rooms, um, I you know, show them on tours, and I think they think I've actually picked the most beautiful room of all, right, to show them and to showcase it. And I say to them, this is just one of all the rooms, and they're all this beautiful. And I just want you to know this is exactly the way these rooms look. And some of them, honestly, are even more beautiful than this room right here because of the touch that they put on these rooms. And, you know, some of the people who have adopted those rooms and created them now have gone on to heaven. And it's just kind of humbling to us to realize that people spent time and money and energy to do what they did and to make a beautiful place for these ladies and and to realize now they've gone on to their eternal reward and so and i just say god bless them bless them really good because they did just a great job right here at the hope center creating a prepared place for these ladies and then i think about the lord's prepared a place for them a beautiful thought and it's not just it's not just individuals we talk about so i the the adopt a room program we actually ran out of rooms at one point in time where we had a waiting list mm-hmm. where people were really wanting to get in and decorate something and we started saying okay well we don't have any bedrooms but how about a living room or how about a kitchen or how about a laundry room and they did they've come in and they've started to bless all of those places mm-hmm. um, but aside from just the individual groups that have come in we've had big companies uh, that have come in and blessed the hope center uh, eli Lilly does their one of their global training days out here every year and you want to share a little bit on that uh, we have had so many uh, businesses i think um come that's been man they have been a lifesaver really and um, they have done so much they can bring in a crew like lily has brought in as many as 200 right right, on their global leadership day and so they've been here i think every year except covid year and then they even did a drive-by drop off of uh, supplies and needs that we had here on campus and i used to say this they were like the locusts man they would come into the front of the campus and by the time they went out the back we were cleaned up you know and so they were just amazing and i think that what i realized was there's incredible people out there and all these different businesses who have a heart to to impact the world in which they live and to realize that they came with their shovels and and uh, gloves and they were willing to do whatever and i was always thinking they were kind of like behind desks with you know, computer skills and right. all these different things. And they brought their chainsaws and man, they were just ready kind of to, to take on anything, you know, from going ahead and trimming trees to uh, helping us to paint our curbs. You know, they were just willing to do whatever we wanted done here on campus. And so it, it really has just caused one of our, our uh, values is to create a beautiful place that is safe and secure 
for these ladies to come. And so these businesses have been able to help us do that. And like I said, uh, literally, literally when they bring 200, they will probably do, if my maintenance man had to do all that work, it would have taken him a year. So they'll do like a year's worth of work in one day which is pretty amazing. Yeah, I remember one day we we literally had 400 people on campus. We had two businesses that were here. And Bob took one side and I took the other side and uh, it worked. It worked out and Yes, it but was, we would say that's too many. That's too many. Don't <laughs> Don't ever like, send 400 again. But Yeah, no. pastor stop praying for people. <laughs> You're good. That's right. But they've come in and so that goes back to that monetary agreement that you have of that improvement package that we do monthly that helps pay for the rent, right? Absolutely. We've had over 300,000 volunteer hours served here at the center uh, since we opened. And when you think about 300,000 hours is amazing. And just maybe each person, if we give them somewhat of a minimum wage or, you know, or even $10 be easy to figure. That's like a $3 million gift back to the campus through uh, just hard work and sweat equity and just saying, I'll put on my gloves and roll up my sleeves and put on my boots and I'll go to work. And it's beautiful to see that. And it really has improved the campus in ways that we probably would have never been able to. And they have brought us to a position where we have done so much more, so much quicker than we ever imagined or thought possible. So when we give tours and we walk through the campus, we have people say to me, if you would have told me you've been doing this for 10 years, I would have believed you because you've accomplished so much. And so I think part of the accomplished so much is because we've had this incredible army of volunteers who have come through to help us do what we're doing. So, and there has been, like I said, so many businesses here in the Indianapolis area that have come on board to support us and help us. And Lily was just one of those. Yeah, they come out. Um, the churches, they have their serve days out here. It's a great place to do that because you can really mm-hmm. get a lot of people here at the same time, as well as businesses that they do their um, kind of training days out here and their building days. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from the businesses and the individuals that have adopted spaces and that type of stuff, you have volunteers that that staff a large portion of this facility that come out every day or two, three times a week or individuals that make this possible. Um, what does that look like? If somebody says, Hey, I want to volunteer at the hope center. Is there a place for me? What does that look like? Kind of reminds me a little bit of a, I had this lady call me on a Sunday afternoon and she said, Hey pastor, I'm getting ready to meet with my prayer group. What do you need at the hope center? And I thought, how do I even answer that? (laughs) There was so many needs at the Hope Center. It's right. like a laundry list of things, right? I could just I could go on for a long time. I thought, what is one or two things I could actually say to this lady that they could pray about? So I finally said, Well, we could use some commercial washers and dryers. Pray about that. And she said, Okay, thank you. So she kinda hung up right and so um it was kind of a neat thing how that all came about. So I'm not sure how it went. They prayed, a prayer request went to heaven and then back through social media and, you know, how that happens. And then finally it got to um, the Indian Creek Church here, the Christian church just south of us here. And they called me one day and they said, hey, we'd like to provide you with two commercial washers and dryers. And I thought, that's fabulous. And so uh, they came over to present us a check for the washers and dryers. And the only reason I share that story is because when people ask me about serving, it's kind of like, what do I even say? 
Right. Because there is so many ways in which you can serve at the Hope Center. I don't even know where to start. I usually say to them, what would you like to do? Yeah. Whatever you would like to do, we can probably create that for you because we have so many needs here on campus. Uh, so from landscaping to you know inside work to outside work to the greenhouses to all of our businesses, there are just so many ways in which people can volunteer. And we have full-time volunteers here every single day and it's amazing to me whether these ladies are coming in to cook in our kitchen because they want to be part of the meal ministry here for the residents whether they're actually serving in the food pantry and helping with the food pantry every week that we serve our community or whether they're working in the business as a volunteer to make sure that those businesses can give back the revenue back into the center or just showing up to do leaf raking right and uh, some of that so I think people um, when they think about the Hope Center it's natural to say oh I'd like to work with the girls I'd like to work with the ladies and or maybe they're they don't want to do that so they're they're not really apt to call but if they have a skill set we have a use for it whether it's they can crunch numbers or finance or you know um, even to just come out and pray uh, whatever, whatever it is that you'd like to donate, or whatever your your spiritual gifts or abilities are, we could definitely use them out here. Yeah, we when we think about um, some of those areas, I mean, we have a financial team that's doing all kinds of stuff. We have a marketing team that does uh, working through the social media outlets and trying to figure those things out, C- connecting us with our facility. Can you imagine what our facility team looks like and people who can come in and volunteer. And if we had to pay to have everything done here on campus, we wouldn't be able to accomplish it. Oh yeah. The facility itself. So you have wastewater treatment plant, you have a boiler, you have, yes. it's a lot to take care of. It, it really is. is Bob's, Bob's great with that. Yeah. And so there's just so many, those different areas that people could really connect with and be part of. And then, or if they really want to do ministry as well. I mean, we have almost 30 ministries functioning in and out of the Hope Center, right? So if you want to work with light and darkness and go to strip clubs, massage parlors, or be part of a prayer team, those kind of areas, like I said, you can be part of the food pantry. And they're just, these ministries are here and you could literally connect with them as well and be part.